which Medicare supplement plan might be right for you. Should you get a plan G or get a plan N? But before we start and answer that question, my name is Cameron Giardini, and together with my co-host, Joanne Giardini-Russell, we operate Giardini Medicare, which is an independent insurance agency based out of Southeast Michigan. Although we are based in Michigan, we work virtually over the phone to directly help consumers in about 13 different states to find the right Medicare coverage for them. So if we do not work in your state, we will connect you with another trusted independent agent that can help you find the right coverage that you want. And of course, even if you choose not to work with us, we know the information in today's podcast will help you have a successful and stress-free transition to Medicare. So now Joanne can give us an overview of today's episode. Sounds good. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. So number one, we'll talk and discuss about what are Medigap plans exactly. We'll talk about the different types of standardized Medigap plans. We're going to talk about Plan N and Plan G. We'll talk about the differences in coverages between those two plans. We're going to discuss Medicare Part B excess charges, which are important to understand. And then we're going to talk about, at the end, the Plan N versus a Plan G, the enrollment trends, and what you should be considering long-term when you're making your selection and purchasing your coverage. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, we're going to start with what are Medigap plans. And you'll often hear us refer to Medigap when we're talking Medicare supplements. So if you hear either of those phrases, we are talking about the exact same thing. And according to Medicare.gov, Medicare supplement insurance helps fill the gaps by original Medicare. And these policies are sold by private insurance companies. So original Medicare pays for much, but not all of the cost of covered healthcare services and supplies. So a Medicare supplement policy can help pay some of those remaining costs. And they help with the deductibles, co-insurance, and co-pays that are left behind by original Medicare. Now with Medigap policies, always keep in mind that original Medicare Part A and Part B still remains your primary coverage and your Medigap policy would be secondary to original Medicare. So if you ever need any more details about that, feel free to go back to our episode, which does a deeper dive all about Medigap policies. But for today's episode, it's good to remember too that these policies are standardized by the plan letter. So what do we mean? Well, there are 10 total Medigap plan letters that are currently available and these range from A to N. So you can actually look on page 76 of the Medicare and You book for reference if you want to follow along with this. And if you don't have the paper version, we will also link to the online PDF version in the show notes for this episode. There can be some extra benefits or variations of coverage between different companies, even if they do have the same plan letter. But everything you see on that chart is the basic standardized benefits that are provided by Medigap plans based on their plan letter. And of course, that will come in handy when you're comparing G to N, like we're going to talk about. But before GNN, what about Plan F? We're not going to be talking about it today. So the reason we're not going to be talking about it, because this whole episode is about G and N. And you have to understand that, number one, anyone that is first eligible for Medicare after January 1st of 2020, you cannot enroll in a Plan F any longer. Okay, so that's likely many of you listening to this podcast, which is a really good reason not to be talking about it here. You may have heard of Plan F in the past being referred to as the Cadillac Plan since it covered the cost of all Medicare-approved services. So meaning after Medicare approved something, Plan F took over and paid 100% of everything. However, just because it had the most coverage and still does have the most coverage, that doesn't make it the best plan. So consider this, even if Plan F is available to you due to your age, it is rarely as good of a value as Plan N or Plan G will be. So when you compare the premiums that you're going to pay versus the coverage you're going to get, you want to make sure in addition to looking at Plan 
plan F, you're going to look at plan N and plan G if you're old enough to consider plan F. So even more importantly, we believe that long term that plan F has a lot going against it simply due to the average age of the enrollees that are in the plan F. With newly eligible people, 65 year olds coming in, they don't have access to plan F. F. The average age of those enrolled in a plan F are going to continue to increase, and so will the premium rate increases as time goes on. So if you have any questions about plan F, feel free to reach out. But for the rest of this episode, we're going to focus solely on plan N and plan G. Yeah, perfect overview. So forget about F, and we're going to talk about the plans that I hate to say are the ones that matter, but are the ones that matter. <laughs> so so let's compare the actual coverage of plan G and plan N. Again, feel free to look at that chart in the Medicare and You book. So first off, both of these plans have the exact same deductible since neither plan covers what is the Part B deductible. So this is set by Medicare. It's not set by insurance companies. Basically every year, Medicare says, here's the Part B deductible. And then Plan N and Plan G both say, well, we're not going to cover that deductible. So you're responsible for it as a consumer. And for this year, it is $226 for the year. That is in 2023. Actually went down a few dollars compared to 2022. So it's usually in the low 200s and usually increases slightly. But again, both Plan G and Plan and do not cover that deductible. Now, after the deductible has been met, so after you've paid your $226, Plan G is very straightforward. It covers the remaining costs of all Medicare-approved procedures. So anything else you have, it basically acts like that Plan F that Joanne was talking about, and it will cover 100% of the remaining costs left behind by original Medicare. Now, Plan N, on the other hand, also has copays and some other things we'll talk about. So as you see, it might be an asterisk on the chart, but if you go down below it, it will tell you that Plan N has an up to $20 copay for office visits. And this does include specialists. And it also has a $50 copay or up to $50 copay if you go to the emergency room and you're not admitted as an inpatient. Now, of course, you're probably looking at that and you'll notice that the $20 copay tends to be more of a concern just based on how often that may come up for you as a consumer. Now, remember the plan N $20 copay. Again, it's up to $20. So it could be less than $20. It often is less than $20. But worst case, just expect $20 when we're using these examples. Also, you're not responsible for these copays until you have met that $226 Part B deductible we just talked about. Now, some agents out there, they'll use scare tactics and they'll say, well, you can't get plan N because, you know, if you have a copay, every physical therapy visit you have, every other type of therapy, whatever it might be, they think you're going to have a copay anytime you step foot in a building, but it doesn't work that way. There are certain billing codes that will trigger copays on plan N, which physical therapists should not be using those copays most of the time. So we'll link to all of those. They're called CPT codes in the show notes for this episode, but just keep in mind that not everything is going to be subject to a $20 plan N copay. It's really going to be those primary care and specialist visits when you're getting medical treatments. And then last but not least, Plan G covers Part B excess charges in full if you are charged them, while Plan N does not cover Part B excess charges. We're going to talk about this in much more detail very soon since this is by far, I think, the number one reason that consumers don't choose Plan N, even though it is often misunderstood. Sure. So Joanne can start and talk about excess charges. For sure. And Cameron knows, because uh, just a side note, he's married to a physical therapist. So this comes yeah, up a lot. No excess charges. So believe him, it, it really holds true with physical therapy. Okay. 
let's dive into Medicare excess charges. What do it really mean? How does it work? Things like that. So whether or not a provider could charge excess charges, it really, it just depends on whether or not they are one of two things. They're either going to be a participating or a non-participating provider. So what does that really mean? The non-participating provider, these folks are contracted with Medicare, but they don't accept Medicare's payment as full payment for their services. And they can do that. And instead, they can directly bill the consumer up to 15% of a Medicare approved amount. This 15% is actually called the limiting charge. So again, they don't accept what Medicare pays them as full payment. So they can bill this consumer up to 15%. So if you go to a non-participating provider such as this, you will likely have to pay for the services up front and you'll end up getting reimbursed by Medicare and your Medigap plan afterwards. On the flip side, we have what we call participating providers. These doctors, facilities, et cetera, agree to accept Medicare assignment. And essentially that just means that they're agreeing to accept Medicare's fee schedule for all the services they perform. So they're just taking what they get by Medicare and they move on. There's no 15% couple of things that are super, super key to remember. According to CMS, in 2022, 98% of physicians and practitioners billing Medicare are participating providers. And that means, again, remember that they accept what Medicare pays as full payment. They do not charge an excess fee. So right there, can't. Yep. can't. It's much less common than people think. So again, 98% are not even charging excess fees because they can't, okay? Different specialists, they may be more likely to charge those excess charges. And we find that it's psychiatrists and podiatrists are very very good examples of that. Also, this is a really key stat that I found super interesting. According to Kaiser Family Foundation, in 2018, 99.6% of claims, again, 99.6, pretty high number, of claims from the non-participating providers, again, those are the ones that can charge excess fees, they actually were paid what Medicare pays them as full payment because they can choose to accept assignment on a case-by-case -case basis. So again, you've got the 2% of people, of practitioners, that that are non-participating, but you can see many, many of them are actually accepting what Medicare pays. Mm -hmm. So they're not even charging the excess fees. And one other thing to note, you can find out upfront if your doctors are participating or non-participating. It's not that hard to do this at all. So before you even go to the doctor or enroll in any Medigap plan that we're talking about here, you can do that. You can go to medicare.gov and you can use the provider search tool, which is on the homepage. And you can actually look up the doctor and it'll tell you right there very clearly whether this doctor is a participating or non-participating provider. Yeah, it might not say exactly participating or non-participating, but it would say something like does accept Medicare's assignment or they accept Medicare's assignment, which again, that means they are participating and you do not have the danger of excess charges with those providers. Like and it does mentioned. say that on there. It says that you won't yes. incur extra cost. So mm -hmm. see, just read the verbiage there. Yeah. And I'll continue a little bit here with excess charges because you're probably thinking, well, why aren't more providers non-participating? I mean, it lets them collect 15% more than normal Medicare payments. Well, it doesn't. That's the short answer. So here's a really quick billing example. I know I'd go into numbers too much sometimes but hopefully this will be helpful. So the reason that it's not as lucrative for non-participating providers is they actually take a lower cut from Medicare if they are non-participating. So let's say a participating provider, they do a service and Medicare assignment for that service, their full fee schedule is $100. So participating provider does the service, they get $100, that's it. Now a non-participating provider, they actually have to take 95% of what Medicare would normally give a participating provider. So for a $100 charge, that's $95. Then the 15% excess charge is 15% of that $95. So in this case, that's about a $14.25 
percent charge doesn't really matter if you know that exact number but when you add it all together basically it's $95 plus $14.25 which gives you a grand total for the non-participating provider getting $109.25 for that exact same procedure that the participating provider got $100 for so it's about a 9.25 percent increase in payments to that provider so it's not 15 percent on top of everything for them, it's actually about 9.25%. And according to the American Psychiatric Association, non-participating providers, they also face other hurdles like not being included in Medicare directories. They also face slower claims processing and a worse experience for patients because like Joanne had mentioned, you're likely going to have to pay upfront for these services if you go to a non-participating provider. Now, something to keep in mind before we get off of excess charges here, there are states that implemented the Medicare overcharge measure. These are called mom states, if you want to think of it that way. But a handful of states have made it illegal for providers to charge excess charges. So if you're in any of these states, you should always consider Plan N, at least look at the cost and compare N and G, even more so than anybody else in any other state. And these states are Connecticut, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Vermont. And for anybody out there listening wants to get technical and say, oh, New York has excess charges. Yes, they do allow a 5% excess charge. So their limiting fee is all the way down to 5%. So there's no financial incentive for providers in New York to charge excess charges because they're already taking a 5% pay cut. So yes, they can technically do it, but you're not going to see it. And then just from our personal experience, I know we've kind of made it sound like excess charges don't really happen. And it's because they really don't often. So during our several years of selling Medicare supplements, we've helped thousands of people enroll in Medigap plans. And out of all of our clients, we have only had one that has received excess charges. So just like Joanne had mentioned, this was actually a visit to a psychiatrist, and this has resulted in an excess charge of about $22 per visit. And this is something that thankfully they have a plan G to cover. But again, if you know this going into it, of course, that shifts what plan you might want to look at. But again, that is the only person out of thousands. And I guarantee if you ask agents, if you want to check us across the country, very few of them have had excess charges. Now, maybe some in the past, Mayo Clinic, was a non-participating provider, but beyond that, it's it's just not common. And just an aside, Cameron, we had a popular plan in Michigan that didn't cover excess charges either. And just for years and years that that plan existed, we have never heard about excess charges. Or once it was like $8 somebody paid and they don't even know why they paid it. Yeah, it was a plan C. And all we ever heard was my plan covers everything. So right. if you look at the chart, technically it doesn't. There are excess charges, but none of the consumers on the ground actually experience those. So Joanne, you can also talk about what to consider when choosing a Medigap plan letter, because of course the pricing is going to play a big role in plan N versus plan G. And it does. So you're always obviously going to start when you're looking at your plan G versus plan N. One place to look at, which is pretty obvious, is your premium, right? What is your premium going to be with a plan G versus a plan N? So the calculation is always going to depend. We say this over and over again. It's depend on your, your state and even down to the zip code. And it's going to, that's the state you live in. And again, we're usually talking in these cases, we're talking about new to age 65 people are basically new to Medicare. So we are quoting mm -hmm. the preferred rates in these cases too, to keep that in mind. So I'm going to go through a couple of states. We'll give you three states just as examples. We're in Michigan. So I'm going to tell you about a 65-year-old male turning 65, preferred rate for a plan G, going to cost that person $118. If that gentleman would like a plan N instead, it's going to be around $90. And that's Texas, per month. Per month per person. That's right. Good point. Texas, okay? That same 65-year-old male is going to pay $106 in Texas, and he's going to pay $83 for a plan N. Now compare that to Florida. Florida is $188 for that plan G or $140 for a plan N. So obviously big swings, different states, but 
What you want to do after looking at premium is you want to think about realistically, how about those plan and co-pays? How, how many times do you think it's going to impact you? Do you think it's going to impact you at all? How often are you realistically going to go to the doctors or the ER? Add those co-pays, your thoughts, your related to co-pay potential, to the premium differences between plan N and plan G. Now, a couple things to remember here that are significant. So when you start your plan G or your plan N, you always want to keep this in mind that you may not be able to change from one Madagap plan to the other in the future. So don't forget, and we have other episodes about this, but there is the key feature. There's the open enrollment period for Medicare supplements. What this means is somebody that is age 65 or older and newly starting their part B. Again, you got to remember that those are those two features together. It does not mean at age 65, but if you're over 65 and starting your Part B for the very first time, you got to remember that you have a six-month window to go pick any of these supplement plans that you want without any medical questions being asked of you. That will go away in those six months. So if you pick one of these plans today and in three years you want to go change, you may or may not be able to do that. It all depends on your health. So that is a very important consideration to take into into play. Yeah, it can also depend on the state. So of course there are always exceptions to that. But for the most part, choose a Medigap plan that you're comfortable with long-term and think about the future because it's not something you can just change during that fall annual election period like a lot of people think even from one g to another plan g in most states is still going to require those health questions and underwriting and another thing to remember and this is really important as well is you really got to think long term because when it comes to medigap premiums they increase over time now there's some policies that increase in different ways but everywhere across the board you're going to see increases in medigap premiums in one way or another so when you compare the plan g and the plan n and you're estimating how many times you go to the doctor to think if the copays are worth it, you can't just think of the copays right now. You have to also think about how they might separate from each other over time. So, you know, if there's a $20 difference per month in plan G versus plan N, don't just think, do I go to the doctor once a month? Because although that might be true, what about the difference between plan G and plan N as they continue to grow over time? So I'll talk about that right now because there's pretty much three reasons why plan N should have a lower rate increase trend than plan G. So out-of-pocket costs with plan N, on average, they attract healthier consumers. So if you look at a plan N, if you're comfortable with excess charges, if you're comfortable with copays, odds are you're probably slightly healthier than somebody that might gravitate towards a plan G. So what happens is this means that most people on the plan N, if you average everybody together, they may have less claims or medical claims, which can drive down those rates over time. Because a lot of these times, these companies, they're doing these rate increases because they get a lot of claims from people on the plan that we've talked about in different episodes. Also, Plan G is a guaranteed issue plan for those eligible for Medicare after January 1st of 2020. Plan N is not a mandated guaranteed issue plan. So this means if you need to use guaranteed issue, if you cannot pass underwriting, but you do qualify for guaranteed issue, let's say you're you're losing employer coverage or if you're leaving your state from your Medicare Advantage plan, basically if your health does not allow you to go through health questions, you can use guaranteed issue for Plan G, but very unlikely for Plan N. And then lastly, Plan N it almost always has a lower premium than plan G at the beginning. So even if both plans have the same percentage increase, plan G would go through a larger dollar amount increase when you compare the actual numbers. So what we've actually seen, we've tracked this, we've tracked rate increases of dozens of Medicare supplement companies and plans across the country over the past few years. And we have found that on average, and this is our own math using, again, dozens of companies and hundreds of points of data, but we have found that plan G increased by 5.9% and plan and N increased 3.5%. So we'll do another episode later about more of that data, but you can just get a feeling right there. Plan N was almost close to half of the plan G increases. 
But now I'm going to have Joanne tell you why that probably doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll just kind of wrap up with the, over, the the trends, what we actually see with plan N versus plan G. So again, Cameron just went through a great little recap of, you know, again, plan G, 5.9% increases over the, everything we've observed and, and tracked, uh, 3.5%. And those are the claims N. increases, not, you know, age is another thing. But yeah, yeah we're just talking raw claim data. So not, there's too many ways you can look at rate increases. But based on everything that we mentioned about Plan N and the highlights, you're probably thinking it's the most popular option for consumers. It sounds like it should be, maybe on paper, but Plan G ends up being more popular by a pretty wide margin. So there's this great Telos actuarial study out there, and it shows from 2019 to 2021, when they looked at total Plan G versus Plan N enrollments, that Plan G made up about 85% of those enrollments, only 15% was for Plan N. So we do, we actually see this occur in our own practice, and we typically, mm -hmm. we speculate all the time that it comes really down to two things. Number one, lack of exposure to Plan N. A lot of agents and companies simply don't talk about Plan N for a multitude of reasons. We're not going to even get into that today. But it's again, harder it's, to sell. <laughs> it's harder to sell. Yeah, if it's not talked about, then you don't know about it, right? So yep. lack of exposure is key. And at the end of the day, we all feel this as a group, but we see when we're talking to people on the phone every day that many consumers really prefer paying a higher monthly premium for more coverage technically and, and the predictability of having it included. So that currently is Plan G. Right or wrong, it really comes down to your personal preference. Yeah, like Joanne said, we just end up doing more Plan G at our agency than Plan N. So we talk about both options and it just comes down to you, the consumer. And Plan N and Plan G, they're both excellent options when it does come to choosing a Medigap plan. Just like all things when it comes to Medicare, you should always consider both options and decide what makes sense for you, your specific health needs, and just what you want in coverage. So just like with Medicare Advantage versus Medigap, just be aware of anyone that says you should only consider one Medicare option or another. And this applies to just choosing plan G and not even considering plan N or just considering plan N and not considering plan G. But as always, please leave us a review on your podcast app and subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. You can also find more Medicare content from us by going to YouTube and searching Giardini Medicare. If you have any questions, you can also email us at info at gmedicareteam.com.